Lord, thanks for another day. Thanks that Christmas is coming. Thanks that um, that means that you have come and that your promises are true and you are who you say you are. And you continue to be that way. Pray that we would know you more this morning. Would you be the one who gets the glory? Do all the work, Lord. We love you. We need you. In your name, amen. Good morning. I'm Charles, one of our pastors here, like John said. Glad to be here. Honored to be preaching with you. I haven't preached holding a mic. I feel like I'm either a wedding DJ or a doing stand-up. So we'll see, see how this goes. Uh, we did have the flu last week, which is great, last weekend. And then um, I'm in my mid-30s. Some would say mid to late, and my lower back just stopped working two days ago. So I have a stool here just in case. And I'm weak and tired, so I'm like, why not drink a whole cup of hot chocolate, you know? So if I'm jittery, it's not because I'm nervous. It's just all those factors. So uh, glad to be here. All that to say, we're grateful for you. We love you guys, and um, we're honored to be in church with you, truly. Uh, we've been going through this Advent series on In the Waiting, going through the big Advent themes of hope, peace, joy, and love. And the question that we're asking is in the already, not yet, of Jesus already coming, but he hasn't come back, how do we live with hope, peace, joy, and love in the midst of waiting? In the conversation we've been having, and even in our own lives, in my own life, there's all sorts of things you all and we all are waiting on, uh, good things that um, you're wondering why that desire is there and yet you haven't had that prayer fulfilled, whether that's a baby or companionship or a spouse or um, finances fixed, broken relationship fixed, health healed, whatever it is, uh, we have these groans that we live with and we, what do we do with them as Christians? And there's usually three things we do, one of three things. We either uh, go into denial and pretend um, that it's just not as bad as it is, or we get determined, and we just pull up our bootstraps, and we try to fix it ourselves, or the third one is we just despair, and it's like anytime anything negative comes, we just go, you know what, this is just how it is, and I give up, and so how do we trust God in the midst of our lives, in the midst of this waiting, and so today we're going to talk about joy in the midst of waiting. Joy is one of my favorite things. I'm a pretty, like, happy, optimistic, I'm kind of like a golden retriever most days, uh, uber loyal, super ashamed when I do something wrong, like really happy all the time. Um, and so I love joy, and I love the Christmas season. We actually have a, a real picture of how I feel on the inside when it comes to Christmas time. Don't be jealous of my Photoshop skills there. Um, I love Christmas. I love the traditions and the cookies and the decorations and the sweaters and all the things. Even I've been slowly but surely decorating our front yard, and I heard our neighbors last night go for a walk, and they were like, it's going to be New Year's Eve, and he's still going to be putting lights up, and I was like, okay, maybe you could put a tree up, okay, you know, but I love Christmas, I love joy, and when we think about Christmas, joy is a word that comes to mind often, um, and for some of you, like, this is what you think of, right, or you're like, that's not even enough decorations, that's not warm enough for my taste, um, so this is like the theme of Christmas. You go to the mall and you hear the songs and joy is something that is um, permeating throughout all these things. But while some of us feel like, yes, Christmas, joyful, and then throughout life, like you're full of joy, others of you feel like this when it comes to Christmas time. You're <laughs> like the parents in the room, right? You're like, <sighs> right? It's not joyful, you're just, oi, I feel exhausted, I'm tired of the songs, I don't want to hear rocking around a Christmas tree again, so forth and so on. 
But then for some of us in this room, some of you in this room, it's way deeper than that. And it feels a lot more like this, right? You're telling yourself you're supposed to feel the joy and the Christmas spirit and you're supposed to be excited and you don't even want to put the tree up. Or you do and all you're reminded of is how it used to be. The people that have passed are not here anymore. Maybe you're an empty nester and you just wish your kids were here to help you do the traditions or whatever it may be. And so we're all in a different place when it comes to joy in life. And right now in the Christmas season, we're just, it's thrown in our faces of you should have peace, you should have hope, you should have love, you should have joy. And many of you are going, but what if I don't? And so we're trying to answer that question. What does it look like to have true joy in the midst of the waiting, not just around the holidays, but every day as we walk through this life? Um, So the first question we need to answer today is, what is joy? I remember being in youth group back in the day, and we talked about this, like, what is joy? And all of us in the room were like, we don't know. It's not happiness. It's more than happiness. Is it an emotion? Is it fleeting? Is it solid? Is it external? Is it internal? What is joy? Um, I think often when we think of joy, we think of, like, external things that give us joy. Like, last night I finished our lights out front, and I, like, got this overwhelming, like, I could cry. I'm so excited. Some of you understand, others of you think I'm a weirdo, and I'm okay with that. Um, I know a few years ago, my wife and I, we took our kids to Disneyland around this time of year. And when we think of like, oh my gosh, Christmas time, it's like it's Disneyland in the holidays. You show up and there's Christmas music playing and the whole place is decorated. And it felt so joyful. And I went to get popcorn at one point, like before the parade, and it's like so fun waiting patiently, and then this couple comes out of, like, Adventureland or Fantasy, whatever, one of the different lands, just screaming at each other, and they're dressed up, like, they had clearly gone, like, on a fancy date in Disneyland, which I'm like, who does that? And they're F-bombs, like, walking past the castle, just screaming at, you always do this, babe, babe, no, wait up, no, F, like, and the guy in front of me goes, it's the most wonderful time of the year. So while Disneyland can bring joy, it's like it's also just a place that costs a lot of money and you wait in line a long time and your kids throw tantrums and it's not, right? Like we think these external things can give us joy and some of them do, but they're ultimately fleeting. So we're going to watch a quick video. It's about four minutes long from the Bible Project who do just awesome resources regarding the Bible about what the definition of joy is. So let's take a look at that. Being in a good mood is really great, and most languages have lots of words to describe the experience, like happy, cheerful, joyful, and so on. The same goes for the languages of the Bible. In ancient biblical Hebrew, there's a variety of words, like simcha, sason, or gil. In the Greek New Testament, there's kara, euphrasune, or agaliasis. Each word has its own unique nuance, but they all basically refer to the feeling of joy and happiness. Now, what makes these biblical joy words interesting is noticing the kinds of things that bring happiness and also seeing how joy is a key theme that runs through the whole story of the Bible. Let's start with sources of joy. On page one of the Bible, God says that this world is very good. And so naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life, like growing flocks or an abundant harvest on the hills. The poet of Psalm 104 says a good bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. 
people find joy at a wedding or in their children. There's even a Hebrew proverb that compares the joy that perfume brings to your nose with the joy a good friend brings to your heart. However, human history isn't just a joy fest. The biblical story shows how we live in a world that's been corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and loss. And this is where biblical faith offers a unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. So when the Israelites were suffering from slavery in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead them into freedom. And the first thing the Israelites did was sing for joy. Even though they were in the middle of a desert, they were vulnerable, the promised land was still far away, they rejoiced anyway. Later biblical poets looked back on this story and they remembered how the Lord caused his people to leave with joy, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. This joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. This theme appears later in Israel's story, when Israel suffered under the oppression of foreign empires. The prophet Isaiah looked for a day when God would raise up a new deliverer like Moses. That's when those redeemed by the Lord will return to Zion with glad shouts, with eternal joy crowning their heads. Happiness and joy will overtake them. And while the Israelites waited, they chose joy to anticipate their future redemption. This is why it's significant that when Jesus of Nazareth was born, it was announced as good news that brings great joy. We're told that Jesus himself rejoiced and gave thanks to God his Father when he began to announce the kingdom of God. He even taught his followers the same joy in the wilderness, saying, when people reject you or persecute you for following me, rejoice, be very glad, because your reward is great in heaven. After his death and resurrection, Jesus commissioned his followers to go out and announce the good news that he was the risen king of the world. And as they did so, the early Christian communities were known for being full of joy, even when they were persecuted. Like when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a dirty Roman prison, he could say that he's chosen joy, even if he gets executed. He called this the joy of faith, or joy in the Lord. He believed it was the gift of God's Spirit, a sign that Jesus' presence is with you, inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And when you believe that Jesus' love has overcome death itself, joy becomes reasonable in the darkest of circumstances. Now, this doesn't mean that you ignore or suppress your sorrow. That's not healthy or necessary. Paul often expressed his grief about missing loved ones or losing friends or his own freedom. He called it being full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. As he acknowledged his pain, he also made a choice to trust Jesus that his loss wouldn't be the final word. This is very different from the trite advice to turn that frown upside down. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about. Hey, thanks for watching. You're welcome. Three, three lines stood out to me from that when they're talking about joy. One, they say this, it's an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. Another one, when talking about the Israelites in the Exodus, said that the joy in the wilderness, this was a defining moment, a way of saying that the joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. And the last one towards the end there says, Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. And that's what biblical joy is all about.
It's this idea that's so much deeper than our circumstances and our emotions. So the big idea today is that joy comes from your Savior, not your circumstance. If you're in Christ, joy comes from your Savior, not your circumstance. And so throughout the series, we've been choosing a, a person and a book or a story in the Bible to kind of land in that personifies the, the theme. So today when we're talking about joy, we're going to find ourselves in Philippians looking at Paul. Uh, the Philippians is a familiar book to many. Most of you know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's a number of other like coffee cup verses that we've memorized that are common. Uh, and Philippians is the most joyful letter that Paul wrote it's considered the most joyful book of the Bible, actually. It's only four chapters, and yet the word for joy or rejoice is mentioned 16 different times, which is a lot. Uh, most of Paul's letters, he starts with, uh, you know, I'm Paul, and I love you, and I'm praying for you, and I, think of, I rejoice when I think about you. And then he almost immediately goes into, like, correcting their walk because they're, they've gone astray. And yet in Philippians, he immediately jumps into his love for them and his rejoicing in them and all the joy that he has in them. Some examples of joy throughout the book, there's just a few. One is at the beginning, verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The next chapter, Philippians 2, 2, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In Philippians 4, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And Philippians 4.4, 4, which many of you are familiar with, the climax of the joy of the letter, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And this is just four examples of the many other times that he talks about joy throughout this letter. He's using it to reference the people, that they are his joy. He's reminding them to uh, replicate his joy that he has in the Lord, and he's also just constantly reminding them to rejoice because of who they are in Christ. Joy is the primary marker of this book, of this letter of Philippians. And Paul wrote that. Many of you are familiar with Paul. He was prior to coming to know Jesus, uh, a religious zealot. He was, you know, flawless in terms of the eye of the, re the religious leaders. He had done all the right things, and he continued to do all the right things in terms of getting righteousness based on the law. And yet uh, Christ saves him, and his life pretty much goes downhill from there. And so Paul, who's writing this letter about joy, actually is writing it from a Roman prison. He's most likely chained to a Roman imperial guardsman. Uh, he's not sure if he's going to live or die. He's not sure where his next meal will come from. At that time, you didn't get three square meals a day. You didn't get to go out in the yard and, like, play basketball. He was chained day and night in this prison. And unless people brought him things, he wasn't going to even survive his imprisonment. Philippians talks about, in Philippians, he talks about how Almost everyone that was, everybody that was on his side for the gospel has abandoned him. So he's imprisoned, he's not sure if he'll live or die, he's alone, and he's afflicted. Now, obviously he's afflicted, he's in prison, but even other Christians were preaching the gospel out of rivalry with Paul. And he says in Philippians chapter 1 that they did it just to bring him more affliction, which is kind of crazy. 
In 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28, we see Paul, he describes what his journey looked like to get to this Roman imprisonment. He says this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul should be dead. <laughs> Moral of the story. He's been shipwrecked. He's been snake bit. He's been the, 30, the 40 lashes minus one. It was believed that when, if you got whipped with this horrible whip contraption 40 times, it would kill a person. And so they would do it 39 times. And that happened to him three different times. He's been stoned. He's been beaten with rods, falsely accused, arrested. Life is not great. He's suffering in a word. And yet, this is the person who writes this letter and tells the writers, and God, using the letter, tells us to be joyful. And so Paul isn't, like, skipping along in the Roman prison, probably, like, in total denial, acting like everything's rainbows and butterflies. He's sorrowful. He's lonely. He misses his friends. He misses his people. He wishes he was free, and yet he continues to rejoice in the Lord. We see a picture of this joy in the waiting in Paul in chapter 1, verses 21 to 24. He says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And then later in the book, he says, I hope, therefore, to send Timothy just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. He's saying, I hope that I can get out of this prison and come see you in Philippi and see you in person. And yet he also is saying, I don't know if I'm going to live or if I'm going to die. And I don't know if I want to live or die. If I die, at least I get to be with Jesus. But if I live, I get to keep doing the work of the ministry and maybe see you again. He's in the midst of waiting, and he has this profound joy. So how, how, how can Paul have this joy? Now, I think quick caveat, I know for me, when I hear about like Bible characters, I automatically put this qualifier on them of like, yeah, but that's Paul, right? Or that's Moses, or that's Jesus. Like, it's an easy one, right? That's Jesus. I mean, obviously, he withstood temptation. And so we go, well, it's Paul. Man, I'm not Paul. Like, God didn't blind me from heaven and make me come to know him in a vision. Like, Jesus didn't appear to me like that. I'm just Charles, or I'm just whoever you are. And yet Paul was chosen by God to do his will, but he's also a regular person. The secret to Paul's joy is found in chapter 4. He says this in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's that secret? I can do all things 
through him who strengthens me. So that verse that many of us know, I know I love the Olympics coming this summer, thank the Lord, not another horrible summer with just baseball. Um, <laughs> but there was a sprinter, a hurdler a few Olympics ago, probably, gosh, 12 years ago now, who uh, it was, she said she was a believer, and uh, before the race would start, before she got on the block, she would, you could see her mouthing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And often we see this verse, it's like everybody's Instagram bio, right? Like, we think of it as, if I have Jesus, I can do anything, which in some cases is true. And yet this verse in context is not talking about winning the gold medal or getting the job promotion or lifting the weights. It's about withstanding life and thriving in the midst of sorrow, whether being content in whether you're hungry or your stomach's full, when life is great and when life is terrible. No matter what, Paul says he can do all things through him who strengthens him. He's learned the secret to joy. He's learned the secret to contentment, and that is he knows the joy giver. How can you have joy as a Christian? You can know Jesus. He's the author of joy. He's the joy giver, and sometimes that joy comes in little gifts, right? Just because we're Christians and Jesus is the joy giver, that doesn't mean that we swear off anything else that could bring us joy in life. Right? You don't like not eat bacon because you're like, well, the smell of bacon brings me joy. Or we're not going to have fun in life because only Jesus can give me joy. Like These gifts are gifts from God to bring you joy. And ultimately, our joy, those point us to Jesus, the one who can always give us joy, even when everything else feels the opposite. So my question for you is, what are some things that bring you joy? Even thinking about the Christmas season, what are things that bring you joy or have brought you joy? I think of, immediately I think of my grandma, Jones, who passed away 10 years ago. She is like a godly woman. One of our daughter's middle names is, is after her. And she was like from the South. And so she'd be like, are you hungry? You're like, I kind of. And like five minutes later, it'd be like fried chicken and everything made up. Um, cookies. I think of just the warmth of her home and all that came with that. I think of good weather, I think of time with family, good time with family. Those things bring me joy. Next question, what are the most joyful moments of your life? Think about that. What is the moment or the moments when you think of like, man, that was the most joyful I've ever felt? For me, I think of um, being married, like my wedding, that was awesome being at Disneyland with my wife on our honeymoon because there's like no one there. I think of graduating with my master's degree. Like I didn't really want to get a master's and I did and it wasn't fun. And I just remember feeling so much joy when I was done. I think of our daughter's adoption day. I think of my mother-in-law not dying a few years ago when she should have and her waking up from a coma and coming home healthy. These are joyful moments in my life and as I was thinking about these joyful moments, I realized, like, oh, all of those are after the waiting. I don't think of, like, man, my master's was really joyful and super fun, doing all that hard work that I didn't want to do, or, like, wondering if my mother-in-law was going to live when we already had so much tragedy. That, I didn't feel joy in the midst of that. It was always the after, and so I further wonder, like, how can we have joy in the waiting? And the answer is, you know, Jesus. It may not always feel 
joyful, but we can have this profound foundational confidence in Christ, in God, that not only is he sovereign, he's over all things, but he loves you, he's good, he's for you, and he's with you. You can have joy because he comes from your Savior, not your circumstance. So more specifically, like how come you remember that? When life gets horrible, how can we have joy? How can we be reminded to have joy? Because if you're anything like me, it feels like almost everything else in my life, the voices in my own head, the voices from outside tell me that the gospel is not true, that God isn't who he says he is, that I'm not who God says I am, and therefore it's really hard to have joy. It's really hard to have peace. It's really hard to have hope when it feels like everything else is pointing in the opposite direction. Christians, you can have joy. This is like a Bible, you know, school answer by looking to Jesus. Looking back, looking at him in the past, looking at him in the present, and looking at him in the future. Because as a Christian, these realities are true. We can look back in the past and see that Jesus has come. The Savior that was awaited, the prophecies that were told, they all came true in him. And I have joy, like, I love, you know, Santa and Rudolph and all the Christmassy things, but they just feel kind of cheap compared to, like, the deep joy I have that, like, Jesus has come. We don't celebrate Christmas just because, like, it's a thing we do as Christians to remember that God said what he, he did what he said he would do, that Jesus has come. In Matthew, or in Luke 2, 10 and 11, the angels said to them, the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of what? Of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And in Matthew 1, 23, it says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? It means God. Jesus has come. And he wasn't just a baby, right? He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins, my sins, and he rose from the dead to defeat sin and death. And now he's over all things. We can remember that to have joy by looking at our present reality. Jesus didn't just come and leave. He sent his spirit. He told his disciples it's actually better for him to go because his spirit would be with them. In John 14, 16 through 18, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. This is you, Christian, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And in Matthew 28, 20, the Great Commission at the end, he says, Jesus says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with you. I remember a few months into our marriage, my brother-in-law, my wife's only sibling, passed away super suddenly and super tragically. I say this trusting that you guys won't be weird when you see her. Um, most of you know our story. Many of you walked with us. Um, and it was just horrible. Like, I didn't know if God was existed in the midst of it. I remember telling my wife, like, yeah, if God, uh, if that's even a thing. I just, like, my faith was rocked. Our world was torn upside down. All I can think of when I think of it, it just is black in my mind. Um, 
And it was like, you don't know when you're like, how to breathe in those moments. And a f I don't know, a week in to it, we had had these, it's just like little blessings. Like I went to buy a tie for the funeral, for a funeral I never should have had to go to. And we got like buy one, get one free. And the weather was nice. And then we took my wife's car to the oil change and we got to see Luis Gonzalez and take a picture with the World Series trophy. Like little stuff. And we kept waking up. Like we had food. We were able to sleep. We got showers. And I remember, you know, I don't know if it was a week or a, year, a month or a year, honestly, but I just remember thinking like, I don't feel God anywhere. I don't, I'm not, I'm really mad at him if, he's, if he even exists. And then I told my wife, I go, hey, guess what? We're doing better than we were a week ago. Six months later, I was like, wow, we're in a much better place than we were six months ago. Now, the place that we were in was still terrible. But I remember realizing, like, the Lord showing me, walking through the Christian life, especially in the midst of tragedy, isn't this, like, cling to Jesus, because we didn't have any energy to cling. We had no effort or strength to do anything on our own. The thing I realized and was taught was, like, God is carrying us. I, don't, I can't cling. I have no effort. Like, I don't have any energy to cling to anything. And yet God continues to carry us. He's with you right now. He's with you in the joy, the best moments of your life, and he's with you in the sorrow where you feel like you can't breathe. He's with you now because he has come. And we just finished this sermon series on Revelation. It was the last time I preached was like on these two beasts. It was like, that was weird, right? Um, and Revelation was, it's a strange book, and it's full of all sorts of strange language, and something that's very not confusing is at the end. We can have joy in our Savior, not our circumstances, because one day Jesus will come again. In Revelation 21, 3 through 5, it says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You can have joy in your Savior, not your circumstance, because Jesus has come. He's with you now. He's dwelling in you even. And one day he will come back and make all things new. That the tears won't flow anymore. There won't be sickness. There won't be loss. It'll only be joy fully. And so we right now can have joy knowing that that's true. You may be like Paul right now in Philippians where you're going, you know what, it would just be better if I died because at least I'd be with Jesus. But I'm alive. I don't know why God has me living, but I'm alive, and I know there's good gifts that come with that. Others of you are on the total opposite of the spectrum, and you're like, have never experienced any tragedy or sorrow, and that's great. Some of you, most of you are somewhere in between. We can have confidence in God because he is who he says he is. He is good. 
He does love you, and he knows you fully. Joy is utter confidence in God himself. I think of when Jesus is telling parables, and he tells the parable of the pearl, which is two verses. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a great pearl that when somebody finds it in the field, they bury it and sell everything they have. What? So you have this field. This field gives you money. It gives you stability. It gives you crops. You can lease it out to farmers and get income. Uh, this is good to own land. And yet it says, Jesus says, it's, the kingdom of heaven is like when you find this pearl, this super valuable item, it's so valuable that nothing else matters. Jesus is that. And just, I'm thinking of that person, they find it, oh my goodness, this is amazing, they bury it, leave it there, no one will find it, and they go in to sell everything they own, including the field, like, and how crazy everybody else would think that they are. And I just think of the confidence that that person has. Maybe a smirk on their face of like, you don't know what I know. And we have that in Christ. It costs everything to follow Jesus. And yet, he's so much better than anything else we could have. So joy is confusing. Joy feels fleeting. Joy feels hard to nail down. What quite is it? And yet, as a Christian, you have the joy of the Lord. Even in the midst of sorrow. We come to the table every week to take communion, to receive the bread, to dip it in the juice, to be reminded of who Jesus is. Uh, I teach the rhythms class here, which is a few times a year, and it's like our four-week class on for newer people trying to find out more about the church. And almost every time we do it, somebody asks, why do we do communion every week? Like, I grew up doing communion once a quarter. We also grew up being told that dancing led to sex. So things are clearly different here. Um, but we, we, we do communion weekly to be reminded that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's come, that he's died, and your sins are forgiven. And so when you come to the table today, and you have that bread reminding you of Jesus' body is broken, and is the juice that reminds you of the blood that he spilled that saves you from your sins, you can be reminded that you have joy in a way that you can't even comprehend because of God's love for you. Let's pray. Lord, would you grow us in you? The voices of our world are really loud. They're really confusing and they're really disheartening. And many of them, many of the things around us, work really well to take our joy from us. And yet you are a constant. You're steady and you're near. You are love. You hold us, you carry us, and you fill us with you. I pray for those in this room that are just flowing with joy, and I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for those in this room that feel like they haven't experienced joy in years, and yet they love you and they're wondering what's wrong. Would you just be super near to them, Lord? Would you give them joy in the midst of the mundane, in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the good? 
And God, we know you more as we continue to walk this life with you, with other Christians, in your word and in prayer. We really need you, Lord. Would you continue to give us your joy? We praise you in your name. Amen.